What? Can't you see that this kid over here was born without an ear? Can't you see that this kid, like there's internal defects that are happening to these kids as well. But when you're surrounded by that your whole life, you think that that's normal. When God tells you to marry someone, you need to marry them. So they do ingrain that very young in your brain. Welcome to another episode of On The Edge with Andrew Gold. Today's episode is with Amanda Ray. It's just a wow shock factor kind of episode because Amanda grew up in a polygamous cult, an extreme polygamous cult. Uh, her dad's third wife is his half-sister, just as as an example of, of the extremeness, extremity, extreme something the extremeness extremity of it or i don't know what to say but the point is it's really a different way to grow up and it's a very rare insight into what happens when humans get together and have children with their relatives it's quite extraordinary she managed to escape from it she's a fascinating and wonderful person so i hope you will enjoy it and go and follow her on just amanda ray youtube channel go find her she talks about her experiences there and she's a really really wonderful person so do go check it out give my guests some support lots of big episodes are coming up but now you are on the edge of polygamy and cults with amanda ray Amanda Ray, tell me what is the order cult? That's a, a big question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they, they originally started in 1935, back in the, it was like right when the Great Depression was coming to a halt, right? So a bunch of people huddled together and a lot of them were polygamists because it was back in the time where polygamy was booming in Utah, so I don't know how much information you want on like the history of it, but what it is today, I believe there's roughly 10,000 followers of this Kingston clan, the order, the DCC society, right? But um, they believe in two main rules, which is consecration. So you consecrate everything that you have to the Lord, which actually means to the leadership. And then the other main role is polygamy, the law of polygamy, celestial marriage. That's how you get into the highest degree of heaven. They believe in the three degrees of heaven, which also LDS people believe in. But they believe that all the people in the celestial kingdom, at least this is what I was taught, they're all going to be living polygamy. So my dad has three wives. <laughs> And like, if you watch my channel, you'll hear my intro. I'm like, the first wife is my mom's sister. And the third wife is my dad's half sister. That's another thing that they're known for is incest, sadly. Oh, man, it's this is absolutely fascinating. And yes, people do need to go check out your channel. I'll put a link below Amanda. It's just Amanda Ray, isn't it? The channel. name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great channel. And you explain this all so wonderfully. Yeah? And that's why I wanted to get you on the show. Um, so yes, there is a lot of intermarrying with half siblings. It does. Is, are there also just sibling siblings? Um, no, there's no, never been sibling marriages that I've ever seen, but there's been, uh, like the leader who is the leader of the group today, he has 27 wives and three of them are his half sisters and two of them are his own nieces. So that will happen a lot. And all of his brothers, all of his brothers have married at least one half sister. So that's how prevalent the inbreeding is. And they all try to have kids, you know, with these half sisters and what the problem with that comes um, infertility in men, actually. We're starting to see a lot of men who are infertile because their parents are half-siblings and then their parents' parents were related. And so now now it's like Mother Nature's way of saying, stop it, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, no full siblings. People have asked that one a lot. It's kind of shocking that it hasn't happened, but there is a story. Um, I mean, I wasn't there in the room, but there was a story where a man asked the leader if he could marry his own daughter. So, what but that didn't happen. Say? He said, no, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Bloody hell. Okay, so that's a really interesting thing because I guess the the whole point of cults, I guess, usually they're trying to have lots of kids, uh, extreme religions, because they want their cult to be bigger and grander and all of these kinds of things. And the irony here, as you say, Mother Nature saying, well, now we're just going to make you infertile because you're doing it too much together. And that's, are there other, are there other results? I mean, this is a really curious uh, phenomenon. It's something that we haven't like, I mean, you don't often get a chance to see groups where that is happening. And you, you always hear that it's going to bring about kind of birth defects and things like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, the, the first case of incest, I believe was, so we've only have 
have had three leaders so far. So the first one was Brother Eldon, who was number one. Like, if you do know the numbered system, he was the first. And then number eight was my grandpa, Ortel. And he, for some reason, as, as the second leader, he decided that he was going to marry his nieces. So he married multiple nieces, which actually he could only have kids with, I believe, one of them. Because the rest of them, for some reason, they, they would be like carrying them to full term and the baby would be like very weak and they would either die like within hours of being born or they would be born stillborns. So mm. they're, because of this, I don't know what, I think the main thing is that they believe that their, their bloodline is a direct link to Jesus Christ. And so they're trying to keep that bloodline pure by marrying each other. Uh. And so what, what Brother Ortel, the second leader did, is he started doing um, testing. Like they started, there started to be rumors of blood testing going on so that they could see which family members could marry which family members with the least amount of defects. But there still is, like when I was at the church, I was a teacher at the school. Well, I was a uh, teacher's assistant and I saw kids with missing ears. There was a lot of um, just internal issues too with the kids. And I think also mental issues. I hate saying that because like, it's like saying that they're dumb, but there was a, a clear difference in when you would see like a seven-year-old that came from a family of no inbreeding and then a seven-year-old that came from a family from the same dad, but he decided to marry his half-sister. There was a clear difference in the mental capacity. If I were to go to, what, is, is this, okay, 10,000 people, I think you said. Are we talking about like a village of just where these people, where everyone is, where your family were? And if I were to walk into that village, would it be like, Maybe not right away, but I would notice like, oh, okay, stuff's going on here. That's what's crazy about my group is it's not like the FLDS where you walk into the Colorado city, they're all wearing dresses. You can tell something's weird. They have integrated themselves so much into the city, Salt Lake City and into society wow. because the leader wants to be able to do business and make money. So he actually does business with outsiders and we were taught to kind of blend in with society, but obviously don't, don't be worldly. Blend in with the world, but don't be worldly. Okay, so, worldly being the, I think it's a Mormon term, isn't it, for, for just people and Jehovah's Witness for people who are not part of the clan or the community. Mm -hmm. Well, the worldly people are the ones that are not going to make it into heaven. So you don't want to be like them. You can, you can like, obviously, like if you're going to go to Walmart and talk to the checkout lady, yeah, you could do that, but you're not allowed to date them or, you know, don't even think about bringing a guy. As a woman, I can't bring a guy into the group. Men, it's a little more different because they need women. Because if you think about it, polygamy, you know, you're going to run out of women if everyone's, everyone's trying to marry 10 women, right? So it's yeah, really, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fascinating concept again, just because you, I've always, I guess people think this about the Bible as well. You look at the Bible and it's like, okay, Adam and Eve, and then they have kids and you're like, okay, but what comes next then? Because if they're the only people and they've mm -hmm. had kids, their kids have to together and their kids and their kids. So like that whole thing. And I guess this is seeing it in real life. Do you get the sense that it's, I, I guess this was uh, a bit of a spanner in the works for the the plan for the leaders of this this group maybe they didn't see this coming that there would be some birth defects yeah and they so they we have a a private school in the group and they would there were stories of um people like i didn't see this happen but my friend who was at the school saw it happen and she helped rip out pages of the history book rip out pages of the science book because they talked about what happens when you're inbreeding and they like oh, anything. Yeah. They didn't want us to believe that um, marrying siblings is bad. <laughs> so a lot of kids actually, I've been in a, a recent argument with an order member where he was like, um, the government is trying to make us think that marrying your siblings does, does things genetically, but it doesn't. And I was like, what? Can't you see that this kid over here was born without an ear? Can't you see that this kid, like there's internal defects that are happening to these kids as well. But when you're surrounded by that your whole life, you think that that's normal. Wow. And is that going on, that kind of talk? Is there like a central church where there's a, uh, I'm imagining a preacher saying like, hey, they're trying to tell us not to, the siblings and these things. Where's that being communicated? I honestly don't remember the leader ever saying anything like that. But I, I mean, all I remember is when, when God tells you to marry someone, you need to marry them because that's your chosen person. Like they chose, God chose that person for you. So you need to learn to love them. And whether it's your half sibling, you know, there's, there's been times where they had had like meetings, family meetings with the, with the numbered man that's over the house. And they'll say, you know, you could be marrying someone in this room right now. Like, and that all, everyone in your room is your half siblings. So you're like, uh, so they do ingrain that very young in your brain. 
that's it's so weird because then it then there's that question of I think a lot of people assume that there's some sort of block that makes people not attracted to their sisters, brothers, half siblings, mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, is is that still the case, and people are sort of forcing themselves, or does this suggest? that that kind of block is actually societally taught? I think that's a really good question because like for me, for example, I could never look at my siblings that I live because we, I I think that I've had the same thought and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. But I think what it is, is if you, let's say you uh, were living in your home, your sisters in your home, you would be like, oh, I would never want to marry them. But let's say you had a sister that you never met before. You didn't know she was your sister. I think that that happens a lot because they have so many half siblings and they're not living in the same, like FLDS, they all live in the same household. So they, that, that, I think that forms that bond where you're not going to want to marry each other. Whereas in our group, they purposefully put, like my mom had her own house. The first wife had her own house. The third wife had hers. And I think they did it for multiple reasons. They wanted multiple properties. They wanted to, my mom would have, beat up the other wives (laughs) so they kind of separate them but i think also it's a big part of like then they're more willing to marry their half siblings because they didn't even really know that they were really they didn't even have a relationship with them so i think that's a good question though i've had this thought so many times but i think in our genes we are programmed not to want to procreate with our siblings that we grew up with but if you met a stranger and didn't know that they were your sibling you're not gonna have that how would you know you know so it must be, from what you're saying, I think it's down to growing up in close proximity to someone. I think yeah. that sort of closeness, I've got close friends who are female with, with whom I grew up and we were so, and they just, they just look, they just look like a, I don't know, like a, like a, a, a wall to me. It's just, there's just nothing. <laughs> I, it couldn't even, they're just like a, a, a It's like a, your bottle. grandma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yep. nothing. It's like not even a thing. Um, but maybe it's that proximity. You hear stories, don't you, sometimes of like two people from other parts of the world, or I don't know if they're actually true, and they they met and fell in love and then realized they were siblings. So mm-hmm. I think it is actually, because also I, I feel like, and again, I'm, I'm probably talking mumbo jumbo and speculating here, we are maybe attracted to people who look a bit like our, ourselves or maybe a bit of a narcissistic thing about us or like our mothers, they say, or our mm-hmm. fathers, or there's something there. Uh, and then in a way you would then be more attracted to your half siblings who you haven't met. Yeah, it's true. I I have done research on this and it is I don't know that it's that you want to be with your sister so psychologically it's I think it's more of familiarity. You tend to and I've even looked at like my past relationships and I'm like this guy looks like someone I knew in my past. Like it it's it's the comfort of familiarness. It feels safer wow. even though even though it may not be, but in your brain is like, "Oh, this this feels right because you know, psychologically, you feel like you can trust them. Interesting. Oh, I love that you've done this research and you know this stuff. I find it so fascinating. And then, so in your <laughs> in your own family, in your close family, was was that going on? Was that kind of intermarrying going on? Um, not thank God, not in mine because I, I have multiple reasons why I think it never happened. Was because my first reason is my mom and the first wife are full sisters, and then the third wife is my dad's half sister. So the amount of inbreeding that would happen if I married the first wife's kid or the third wife's kids, like they're so related to me. They're not just like he married a stranger woman and I'm half siblings only through through the dad. I'm related through all sides. So definitely would be having kids with like twelve toes. <laughs> And then the other one would be my mom was not born in the group and it was actually really hard for her to watch my dad marry his own half sister. She she was very depressed over it and I I honestly thought she was going to leave him over it. So I think my mom would never ever ever allow it. So it was never taught. Like there was a a time where I was worried that it may happen that I would marry one of the first wife's uh sons, but my mom would laugh about it. She'd be like, "No. Don't even think about that." <laughs> So, Man. thank God. But yeah. I did know, like, uh, other kids that did, they had the same dad, and, and they, they, she was about, I want to say she was, like, two years older than me, and she got engaged to her half-brother. And I remember thinking, even even though I grew up in that and my dad was living that, I remember thinking it was gross. But I, mm-hmm. I think that that's really because my mom was not a member. She, she was an outsider coming into it, and she saw it, and she told us the things that, you know, she helped us to be a little more normal <laughs> but you do seem very normal you seem like totally I, I don't think i think I, I imagine i'm always trying to think like i wonder what people listening to this right now are imagining or people watching this uh you know on the youtube channel is different you can they can see you but like you nobody would know 
that you grew up in, in anything like that. And maybe yeah. that's down to what you were saying, like it's not like the FLDS, people are sort of mm-hmm. more part of society. I think if you met me 10 years ago when I first left the cult, you'd be like, something's a little weird about this girl. <laughs> because I didn't know things that like normal people, like I didn't know common knowledge because I was in this little community, right? But I think as years have gone on and like growing out of it, but definitely I have, I have more social skills. I, I left the order with more social skills than the average order member because I, I want to believe it's my mom and the fact that she also allowed me to go to public school for two years, only two years. And I was able to realize how, how like sheltered I was. And I tried to learn more. Like, I didn't even know who Hitler was till I went to public school. Wow. So like, yeah. Oh, so. and that was allowed like with the leader and everyone, everyone was okay with you going and public school, just to clarify for British people in, in American, that means a state school. And because and, in, in, in British public is like super private for some reason, which makes no sense. But this, it goes like state school, then private and then public is like super private. It's like, but that's not that's not what you went to. Really? Oh, I can explain then because because with the group, they have their own private school, which means only only order members can go. Like you will not see outsiders in there. So it's basically just white kids, all your relatives, right? You're all going to this uh, private school. But because of the time that I was going, they did not have the junior high set up yet. So they only had the, you know, the K through, what is it? K through seventh or sixth grade. And so I had to either go to homeschool or go to public school. And I did do homeschool for a while, but then my mom finally was like, she needs to go to public school. She's stupid. <laughs> so I did. I went to public school for two years and thank God uh, because it made me a little more aware of the world. But because of my, I guess I got too involved with the worldly kids. So then my dad did end up pulling me out of school and I went to homeschool again. So really only two, maybe like two and a half years of public school. But Are, are um, these worldly kids, because is this Salt Lake City? So is it sort of mostly still Mormons and quite religious mm-hmm. people? Yeah, it was like 90% Mormon kids where I was coming from. And I was like, so uh, I didn't understand what that meant, but I was taught to lie. So I think a lot of my classmates knew I was polygamous because I knew a lot about Joseph Smith. I knew the stuff that they didn't know. I knew that, um, that you know, the, the, the starter of the LDS church was a polygamist. I told them how many wives he had, all that stuff. But then they would ask me, what religion are you? And I, I, my parents had to prep me to lie. And my mom said to say that I'm Christian. <laughs> And they're like, huh. <laughs> so interesting. I, 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 like, of all the places in the world I'd love to go to, Salt Lake City is really high up now just because it's such mm-hmm. a fascinating place to me. I've interviewed so many people like, like you and, uh, Shalise Ansola. Is she there? Is she in Salt Lake City? Um, she, I believe, is in California now, but uh, I think she was raised in Utah. Yeah. It is okay. a weird place, but it's also very beautiful. It's, right. That's, I've seen the pictures. It just looks stunning. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. What, what a beautiful place to grow up. But, but also what, what a, you know, what struck me is that you, you say like people knew that you were polygamous. So polygamous, I, I guess for people who are not used to this, this kind of language and stuff, they would imagine being polygamous means you are someone who has several wives or several husbands, but you were a child at that, at that time. So, but it's just polygamous. It's, it's the faith, right? Yeah. Well, it's just like, oh, your, your family's polygamous. But yeah, we, we would just call them plagues. That's, that's a term that a lot of polygamists use. Like, oh, you guys are plagues. <laughs> but yeah, I wow. was never a polygamist. But if I would have stayed, I would have been living polygamy with my cousin because who they chose for me to marry was going to be my first cousin. And his parents are half siblings. So I'm related to him on both sides and he's related to himself on both sides. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is he sort of well rounded? Um, he, what do you, what is that? You mean like socially or? Yeah. And how many toes kind of, is he okay? Is he okay? Sorry, I didn't have to ask it. So I heard because I ran, I ran as fast as I could because I was not going to marry him. And I, he ended up marrying someone who was my friend when I was in the group and she ended up leaving him and we had conversed about it and we believe that he is infertile. So technically I probably wouldn't have been able to even have kids with him because he's had so much inbreeding happen to him that, uh, I mean, we believe that he is infertile and that's why he could not get his wife pregnant. And so wow. from what I'm hearing, he's actually not married now because the rumor is spreading fast. And like, why would, why would anyone want their kids to marry him if they can't bring children? Right. Cause the, one of the main goals in the order is to bring children. Wow. So, so you, you become like a social outcast. 
if you can't uh, have children. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times they, the men who, it's usually the men that are infertile and a lot of times they will blame the women so that they can still keep getting wives. And like, I mean, everything's the woman's fault in the group. <laughs> like, um, if a kid leaves the order, it's the woman's fault for raising them wrong. If the, you know what I mean? And if the kid's good, then it's the guy, the guy gets all the glory. So there's actually, I keep hearing that there's like at least 30 cases of women doing IVF to try to get pregnant, even though like his, so technically if you're infertile, I mean, that would mean you could never get pregnant again, right? I think it's infertile means it's just like really, really weak. You're, you're, you, so you have to have like IVF. I don't know. It's very hush hush though. They don't talk about IVF because it's very shameful if you can't um, get pregnant. It's very like, oh, you're a woman. Your one job is to get pregnant. You can't even do that, you know? A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Mm, man, that's so much pressure. The, the, the kinds of pressure these these communities put on people. Tell me about the the moment that you found out you were supposed to be marrying your cousin. So it yeah this this is one of the I already knew that I wanted to leave the order because I couldn't imagine raising daughters in that and actually telling my daughters yeah you have to marry your you know half brother. <laughs> I couldn't do yeah. it. So I already had plans to leave and then. Um, so what they have is this process called, they have this whole process about marriage because you're not supposed to be dating. You're not supposed to be holding hands until you're engaged. You can't kiss till your wedding day. So they have this process where if a man believes that, that, you know, you are his choice for marriage, he has to talk to his parents about it and, and tell them his direction. So direct, you have to get direction on someone, which is direction from God, whether that be a dream, a premonition, you have to have some holy feeling that this woman is your wife. So then you go to your parents and then the parents get the approval and then they get the approval from the girl's parents and then the leader's parents so everyone has to be there's there's a lot that goes into it if the leader says no then it's that's a no-go so he went through that process to to get the permission to marry me and 
um, side note, you'll, you'll never see a Kingston girl marrying down in the bloodline. She always marries a more Kingston man. For some okay. reason, they don't like Kingston women to marry non-Kingston men. And I learned this at a young age because I was liking men that weren't Kingston because I didn't okay. want to marry my cousin, right? And they and were Kingston, always like- Kingston, just to clarify, is, is another word for the order. No, the Kingston name. is, um, is like the leader's name is Paul Kingston. So he is, he's like, you know, direct descendant of Christ, right? So he's a Kingston. All of those Kingston brothers are like, you know, they, they kind of treat it like their bloodline is the closest to Christ. So if they, if a woman has that Kingston bloodline, because my dad is half brothers with the leader, so I am Kingston. It's kind of like, to explain it better, it's kind of like royal bloodline. Like, you know how in the royalty back in the day, they had to keep things in the family. Yeah. So, so yeah, because I was a Kingston woman, I didn't really have the option to marry a non-Kingston. So, but they wouldn't say that, but I, I, I figured it out by, by like 15, 16, because I had liked two men that were not, I liked two boys that were not uh, Kingston. And for whatever reason, when I came to say my direction to my dad about it, he was like, I know that, I don't know who you're supposed to marry, but it's not him. And I was like, hmm. Ah. Yep. Because it's your cousin you're supposed to marry. Yep. I think, I honestly think my dad knew who he wanted me to marry from a young age because he was putting me because when you, when you're in this group, they put you to work, like they have you work at jobs. They have the elementary school drop you off from school to work at a very young age. And where he had me working was, uh, under this, this cousin of mine. So I was getting to know this cousin of mine from a very young age. So I, I honestly, looking back, I'm like, they purposefully were doing that so that I would be more okay with marrying him when I got older. I believe. You would be but in so, Yeah. I do believe that that was the process. Um, but wow. then, so sorry, to, to finish the story, he, he goes through the process of his direction. I don't know. My dad just comes to me and he tells me, hey, this person, your cousin, so-and-so, um, he is going to call you. He's had some, you know, direction. He, he wants to tell you about his direction and he, he, I, I'm going to let him come forward on you. And coming forward means to, it's such a weird term, but he, it means to come tell the girl his direction from God on you. So I was like, well, I don't want to because I like someone else at this time. And my dad's like, well, he's calling right now. So I pick up the phone. I try to be nice to him because this is my cousin, right? I'm like, hey. <laughs> and, and, um, Basically, it was arranged that he was going to come pick me up. So I, I, I don't even remember what the phone call was, but I just remember being super uncomfortable. And then I talked to my dad about it again. And my dad was like, well, he's going to come pick you up tomorrow. After I had t told my dad that I'm not going to marry this guy, he's like, well, he's going to come pick you up tomorrow. So then he comes over. And I, again, like I'm like this, this girl that's been groomed to be like, um, you know, you don't say no to the one over you. Like I was a really like good kid. And so I was trying to be respectful, but I was, I was like, I'm not going to marry this guy. I'm going to let him know. I'm not going to marry you. I get in his car. He, <laughs> he takes me to Panda Express for our like little date. <laughs> so we're like there talking. And then after we went to this park and he tells me his direction from God, how he knows he's supposed to marry me. And it was a dream that he was holding my hand and everyone was, you know, congratulations for being engaged, whatever. And I flat out told him, I was like, but you're my cousin and I don't believe in polygamy and I know you believe in polygamy. And then he flat out started laughing at me. Like it was like I was joking. Like he had never heard such an absurd thing. And I was like, I'm not joking. <laughs> But even though I was persistent on not wanting it, he still kept like believing that I was going to be marrying him. And like my dad kept um, pushing him to pursue me. Uh, we have these church dances where you're only allowed to dance with the opposite sex one time. But if they get permission, they can do it twice. And he was dancing with me twice. And my dad was making sure that he was dancing with me twice. Regardless of anything that I said, they didn't care. Man. So that's what, what happened. Your, and then I ran. <laughs> what was your dad's obsession with your cousin? Like this it has to be him with you. I really think that there is, it's like a brownie point system. I think that my dad, I don't know the full reasoning behind it because I wasn't in these meetings, but I really think that my dad was going to get some type of brownie points for having, giving his daughter, almost like trafficking. Like if I give you my daughter, then I get wow. this. You know what I mean? Because they have control yeah. over my dad's wages. They have control over where they live. They have control over everything. So like women are like a, is that the right word? Commodity? Like if you, you yeah. can barter with them, 
that's really yeah. how it felt. That's awful. So how old were you at that time and how old was your cousin? I believe I was just hitting 17 and he was only a year older than me. So he was pretty young too. To an extent, I mean, he's in, in some respects maybe a bit of a victim of this as well because it feels like they've planted they've incepted this idea into his head from a young age as well like you are gonna be obsessed with your cousin and want to marry her Mm -hmm. well and it was not something that was abnormal because his own parents were half siblings so like he Yeah. yeah he's like i would i really probably was the first person to tell him that it's gross to be marrying so closely because he he's sitting there like this but mom and dad are sibling, like no big deal. And I'm t- I turned out fine. <laughs> so I don't know. So he really is a victim of it. That's true. Because would he ever consider that if he was raised in a normal family? <laughs> Probably not. Wow. This, I, I keep saying wow. And I'm, I'm, I've become conscious of it in case it's annoying people. But <laughs> I've done a lot of videos and I just, I just find this app really, really fascinating. Um, and especially because you're, I mean, when you're having these conversations and your dad's like, oh, he's coming forward and he's using that kind of language. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the other thing with, what was the word again? Direction? You said, when you have direction? Yes. Yeah. Other than that, are you like normal American families? Like, dad, I'm not doing it. Are you talking like that? or Because it sounds all very like, yes, brother, so-and-so. Is it is it like oldie-worldie speaky? How is it? I think um, I think the FLDS is more like that. Like the FLDS polygamous group, you know, Warren Jeffs, mm-hmm. they're more like, they say father, mother, they're very proper. With us, it was more like, you just have a really deep respect for your dad. You don't disrespect your dad. You don't talk back to your dad. You do what the the law of one above another is a very big thing, which means you follow the chain of command. So you listen to the man of the house, which is the dad. But like I called him dad. But but when I was younger, I did not know he was my dad because they lie because we were the the second family, the second wife's family. So we didn't. I don't have his last name. There's a fake name on my birth certificate under the father's slot. So I called him by his first name when I was younger because I had no idea that he even was my dad. But yeah, as I get, you get older and you're, you do have like, you have a weird relationship with them. Like I wasn't, it wasn't like, um, so hard to explain. When I, when I moved out and I saw this other family, how, how the daughter would like sit on her dad's lap. Okay. This is outsiders, right? She would sit on her dad's lap and she would tell him a story and they would like, you know, I, when I saw that, I was like, Ew, that is so weird. Why are you like holding your dad? We did not have relationships like that with our dad. Our dad was like more of a, it was almost like a boss <laughs> that tells you what wow. to do. Okay. Yeah. Authority figure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the, as far as like lingo, there wasn't like, you know, you call him your father, you call him your mother, but it was, there were like no, no words. Like you can't say, oh my God, that's like against the 10 commandments. You can only say heavenly father. When you say a prayer, you don't say like the word God is not used. Um, it's heavenly father. And then there, we didn't swear. We didn't, (laughs) we didn't even say, um, this is such a, this is a funny story. We didn't even say poop and pee. (laughs) I was like, you don't say that. So we would say mess and wet. Like, did you mess your pants? Like when a little kid, like, (laughs) so like just weird lingo that I thought was normal. And then when I get out in the world and people like, what are you saying? And I'm like, I guess nothing. I don't know. I, I had that a, a bit when I was young. I grew up in a Jewish family and you're not allowed to write God uh, in case like the paper you write it on is thrown away somehow or accidentally. So you have to write like G-D. Wow. Okay. So that was... So that you was understand weird. that then? Because it's, <laughs> so it's like sacred, right? Yeah. And I, I, I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember as I was getting old, I must have been in my early... I don't know. I must have been 12 or 13 or something and I was writing something and I thought you know what, like, fuck this, I'm, I'm just writing yeah. G-O-D. What's, and you're like looking around like, is something going to happen? And then like, yep. I'll throw that in the bin now. Ha, huh, now mm-hmm. what's going to happen? See, and then you get more and more confident. I'm like, screw you, man, I'll write what, yeah. I, what I want. Oh yeah, I, I, when I first left, I felt that guilt of like, if, if I said, oh my God, I'd be like, oh, is he going <clears> to like smite me with a lightning strike? <laughs> But then you realize it's just, it was all this mumbo jumbo that they put in your head. And you've been living with this like sense of fear your whole life. So yeah, that, I mean, so, so you've got this upbringing, you're, they're quite wealthy people, aren't they? Like, and I think that was the same with the FLDS. So everyone's got their own house and there's these big houses. And in America anyway, I think properties are, are much cheaper than what we're used to in Britain just because it's out in the countryside and you get these big, huge homes. You wouldn't, like for you, it's normal, I think. In Amer- a lot, I mean, not, not everyone in America, but I've been to some homes in America. I can't believe how big they are. But yeah. was it, it must have been big to, to fit for the polygamy for all the kids and stuff. 
Yeah. So, so again, it is different than the FLDS. Like the FLDS are down in Colorado City in the middle of nowhere. So property is a little more like cheap. Uh, but us, yeah. we were in the, you know, the city. But the thing is like the only ones who are really like rich is the leadership because the leadership has control of where the money goes, the properties. Like oh, yeah. I actually just did a whole episode on my grandpa. Um, he passed away and he, he like they, they, they had him be a member right before he died and he was very wealthy, he had multiple properties. And because he was a member of the group, that means he has to consecrate everything that he has. So he had millions and millions of dollars worth of, you know, properties and, you know, he had apartment complexes. All of this stuff became the orders because when you're an order member, you don't own anything. You have to give it up to the Lord. So the leadership decides what to do with all these properties. So he's rich. He has a pool in his house. He has nice stuff. Like his brothers, you'll see them wearing Rolexes. Whereas my family was poor. Like the first wife's family was dumpster diving, even though they were given stuff by my grandpa because my grandpa was rich, right? He gave them homes and things like that. But as soon as you're a member, you have to consecrate it. So you never see my dad like wearing a Rolex and, and having all these nice things, but you'll see the leadership having it. So, so consecrate so, that. That word means what? Just give it to the give it to the leader. Yeah. So so to break it down, and I do have videos that explain this more. If you do a mandatory ten percent form or a mandatory inventory form, it explains those a little bit better. But um, I'll just give a little bit of a rough draft. If you are a member of the order, you have to sign what's called a ten percent form and an inventory form. So a 10% form basically states, and I have a copy of this on my channel, and I don't know if you want to pop it up in here, I can send it to you if you want to, but hmm. the yeah. there's a 10% form that states that 10% of everything you own is going to be theirs. And you have a bank with them, so they just automatically take 10% of you know what you're making that month, it's theirs. You, they, just, they just take it, that's, that's the rule. And then you sign an inventory form where you write down, and I remember doing this, you write down everything you have of value. Like, let's say you have a car, you have a nice bike. I even knew families that would go down to the penny, like a bobby pin. And you write everything down. I know, you'd have to go through everything you have, write it down and sign it away to the church. Meaning if they want it, they can have it. And and so that means with properties, but properties, it was very known that you don't get to have your name on your property. You have to give that property to them. So you can live there. My mom was legit living in this home that my grandpa gave her, but she had to sign it over to the church. So she was living there, paying them rent, even though he gave, my grandpa gave her that home. That shouldn't be legal. It, I know. And the worst, the, the thing that doesn't make any sense is, let's say I had a home and I bought it from the order, okay? I buy this home from the order and I have my family in it. Then I pass away. Let's say I paid it off. I pass away. Then guess what? My kid has to buy it back from the order. It's genius if you think about it, but it's really taking advantage of all their members. And no one realizes though. Like, yeah, like I honestly think that a lot of them think that that's how the world works. Because they've never been in the world. That's just where, like every city, every community has just got their own thing where they don't get to own their property. Yeah. How, how are they going to know anything different? <laughs> yeah. So, so most of the time, you're, so you're growing up in this house. How many, how many in, your, in your home, how many siblings did you have there? Um, so my mom did have 10 kids and I'm the second oldest of the 10. So it was, it was a pretty big family. But the first wife, she had 15 kids and the third had eight. So technically I have 32 total siblings, but in one household was just 10 kids. Just, just 10. <laughs> <laughs> just 10. What was that like growing up? Were there nice parts to it? Yeah, I think honestly, if you interview anyone else from where I came from, I think if you ask all of them what their favorite part is, they're going to say the same thing as having so many siblings. Because I loved growing up with nine siblings. You always had, you know, a friend. You There was always something going on. And I, I'm in it. I, I look back on that and I miss having that much community. And it's it sucks because now I'm like, if I have kids, I, w I want my kids to have that. So I, I want to have a bunch of them so that they can all, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of good in my own family like we took care of each other we looked after each other and you kind of had to do that especially in this in this community where everyone's trying to take advantage of you so you had to like watch over your kind your own blood and how did how did your mom get into you say she was she was an outsider who came in yeah so um 
it's it's a long history story and if you if if viewers are interested in hearing the whole story you can go to my channel i have a, I have a live stream called my grandpa ray and, and i talk about the whole thing because that's my mom's dad but i'll give you the short version of it is um her my mom's dad was you know kind of affiliated a little bit there, there was a big time frame back in the 1930s where everyone was getting into cults i believe it was there was a cult boom rampage because when the great depression happened like people were having to huddle together there was so much uncertainty so they were trying to find a sense of community so then there's like boom 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 cults everywhere right so in my history my grandpa was like looking in different religions and stuff like that and he stumbled across the order and there was like some roots there there was some family and friends there and then his sister my grandpa's sister ends up marrying the leader the cult leader so he comes around and he like gets to know the kingsons here and there and then, um, it, but he never really joined, but my mom and her sister would go to the like functions and my mom's sister meets my dad and my dad starts to like the process of direction and going forward. And my grandpa was religious. He did end up being a uh, Mormon. So he, I could imagine that he liked the values where they weren't like, you know, having sex before marriage and things like that. He probably was fond of that and trusted that around his daughters, but then my dad marries my mom's sister and he moves into the basement of their home, has kids with the sister. And then like my, my mom's like a teenager taking care of this, the, this, the kids sometimes. Then my dad has this revelation from God and tells his wife that he's supposed to marry her little sister who's a teenager. So I believe she was preyed upon. I believe there was manipulation that happened. My mom was so young. She was, and she just was oblivious to it. And then they really you know, her older sister who she looks up to and then and then the husband and then like she loves this family and they're telling her things like, well, we had a dream from God and we believe that if you don't do this, they're, they're, I don't like telling the whole story because it's kind of really sad, but basically there was a big ultimatum that God's going to do something really bad if you don't marry him type of thing. So she did. She married him. She didn't want oh to. She actually liked someone else, but she married him because she, out of fear, I believe, I suppose you wouldn't be here otherwise, so that's good. Yeah, and they say that a lot. They're like, hey, you know what, Amanda, if it weren't for polygamy, you wouldn't be here. And I'm like, that's fine. I don't really like it here. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, you don't mean that, do you? Well, when I was in the group. When I was in oh, the group, right. yeah. I was like, I don't even like it. I don't even like any of you. <laughs> like, I would have been Man. fine. <laughs> but so, yeah, now, what, so of what, course not. At what age did you start to to feel this wasn't for you? Um, I, f I was 14, 15 years old and I believe what really triggered it was having my first real crush and having a real, like, I want to say real relationship because who has a real relationship at that age, but me and him like really liked each other. And I, the thought of having to actually share him with someone, like a little piece of me would have to die. You know what I mean? Cause can you imagine sharing your fiance with another man? And that's just what God wants. Also, what kind of a heaven would that be for you? UK, you made it to heaven now. Uh, now you're sharing her still with another man for the rest of eternity. Is that really is heaven? It, is it mostly like men who have lots of wives as opposed to women who have lots of husbands? No, it's only, it's only oh. polygamy. Yeah, they don't, because this is, this is such something that I brought up to my dad. I was like, why is it that that I... I can't have multiple husbands, but you can have multiple wives. That's unfair. But he flat out would laugh and be like, well, it doesn't make sense because it makes sense to have a bunch of babies with a bunch of women. I'm like, what? But like for me to be asking you to do the same would mean you would have to share your wife and you can't even comprehend doing that. But you're, you're wanting my mom to do that for you. Like that's so selfish to ask someone to do for the rest of their life something that you're not even willing to comprehend and think about doing. So that's really what made me start to realize like, I know for a fact that I cannot, I, I, if I'm going to live polygamy, it's going to be with someone that I don't even like because I'm not going to be able to watch them walk out and be with another woman, have kids with another woman and be in love with them. I'm going to have to just marry someone that I find to be unattractive and stupid. <laughs> but then that's even worse, right? Then you're like, you're having kids with someone that you don't respect and that just turn. And I do see a lot of women who I can tell, I can tell they don't like the guy. They're excited for him to leave. They get excited for him to get married again because then they don't have to see him as much. 
but yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you if there's like women marrying multiple men. That doesn't happen. It's, I just was saying like, that would be your equivalent to what I was having to be dealt with. <laughs> okay, I see, I see. And then also growing up, did you have this idea that you were going to have to, because I've heard it's you're supposed to have one child a year. That's like the rule that you're supposed to have. Yeah, so, so I don't ever remember people being like, you have to have a baby every single year. But I do remember them saying to me, when they would ask how many kids do you want to have, I would say 10 because my mom had 10 and I liked that. And they would say that the correct answer is as many kids as you can have. And there was um, scolding that happened when my mom went, I think it was two or three years between having one baby to the next, people were looking at her like, why aren't you having another baby? Like there was judging because you didn't pop them out as fast. Like the, I think the woman that has the most kids in the order has 20 kids all her own kids. I'm like, how is that even possible? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Do you have any kids now? No, but I definitely want some, but I don't think I want 20. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you? Um, I just turned 28. Yep. 28, okay. So. You are six years younger than me. What was I doing when I was 20? Because I don't have kids now. I'm 30, I'm 34. Because it's just people... Although I did just do an episode, an interview completely irrelevant well it's not irrelevant actually it's quite about population collapse and apparently what is going to happen is that our population is currently like 8 billion it's going to keep going to about 11 billion and then it's going to implode and there's going to be too many older people that the young people have to support and all the economies are going to crash mm -hmm. because most people are having fewer than two children per uh per family and that's actually a problem um that we didn't really foresee and it's yeah. only religious families that are continuing to have huge loads of babies yep and this is what's that's something that i've thought about a lot because this group always talked about like the order of the kingston group always talked about how they're going to spread across the entire world and i would laugh at it because i'm like no you're not but but now i'm like oh it's a little scary because <laughs> a lot of people are having less kids and they're continuously like boom 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 there's still people having like kids in the teens like teen amount of kids like 13 14 15 and so mm. they are growing pretty rapidly but yeah, I have leave? heard that. Um, definitely more now than ever. But there's this statistic that was done by someone who was like um, observing the order. And they said that only 2% of members leave. So it's a very small percentage. Oh. And so, yeah. How, yeah, how did that, let's get to that then. How did that go down? Uh, and, uh, you know, do you, take me through your decision making, how you're feeling in that moment when you leave. Um, ugh, there were so many emotions because... You don't, I think that my brain was lying to myself because I really believed that my family wasn't going to disown me. I really believed that they, they, like I saw other kids that left and they were like dead to their family. I just really believed that my bond with my family was so much stronger than that and they wouldn't treat me like that. And I think that I had to believe that to leave because I don't know if I would have, you know. But I went through this phase of like, I just held tight to this because I believed in God. Like it was such a strong belief for me. I was praying every morning, every night. I was meditating to the Lord for five minutes a day. So like I really believed that like a lot of members will believe, well, God, God hates me. I'm going to hell. I didn't believe that. I believed that if, if there is a God, he's, he's going to understand. He's going to understand why I did this because I don't want to go to heaven with a God who wants me to, to be going through all of this just to prove a point. Like I don't want that. That I don't want to believe that that's how God is. So I was, I was stringing on that, that line of faith. And then also that my family wasn't going to disown me. But the second that I left, it was insane. It was like, it was like, it puts so much into perspective. Everybody that I ever loved or ever thought loved me, all of a sudden turned around against me. All of a sudden I was this like demon to all of them. And I was shocked. I was like, you know me. Like, what are you talking, like, how, why are you saying these things about me? We, we grew up together. Like, why is it that all of a sudden I'm like this demon? I could share a little story to give a little bit of a, uh, understanding of what I'm talking about. When I left, the day that I left, I have a whole video on this too, but the day I left, I was physically attacked by my uncle, like blood down my neck. And I ended up calling the police because I was like, this is not okay. And he was the leader's brother. So I called the police and like literally within minutes, people in the order had this whole story of how I clawed myself in the neck oh. and I'm, ju I'm just this crazy person that's trying to hurt the order. The my uncle would never do that to me. He's a numbered man. Like 
And these were my friends, people that I thought were my friends. And I'm like, you really believe that I, that I, you know me, you think that I would have clawed myself in the neck just to prove a point? And like, people were believing that. And then they were saying that there was video footage of him not laying a finger on me. Then I was like, why, why don't you show that video footage to the police? Then he wouldn't be going, having to go to anger management. Like, like, use your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just like come into the house? He'd heard you were leaving and just starts like clawing at your neck. No, this is, I don't know how much time you have, but it's basically, I had a friend who was trying to leave the group and I had already expressed to him that I wanted to leave the group as well. But um, they were not letting him get his money out. And he had like at least 30 grand in the bank. And they, he was freaking out that he was going to have to leave with not a penny. And I was like, let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a plan. We're not going to let you not get your money out of this bank. And so we devised this plan that because I had worked at that bank and I was trusted, um, they would, so they have this thing where you can't go into the back unless they buzz you into the back. So they, I would go in there and be like, oh, hey, like they know me because I worked there buzz me in the back and I was going to take pictures of all of the kids who were working underage illegally. Like, like, uh, you know, they have a lot of kids that are like little, little babies in there working for them. So I was going to take those pictures and then he, we were never going to do anything with them, but we were going to threaten and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to show the police that you guys are, you know, child labor laws. You're breaking some child labor laws. We'll show the police this if you don't give him his money that's his. Like he had a statement that showed he had money. But you can't take that statement to the to anywhere else because it's a weird ass piece of paper that our bank and there's no like evidence of it. It's not like US Bank where you have to have statements and, and records, right? They just if they want to delete it, they can delete it. So he we were scared he wasn't gonna get his money. So I go in there, I take all these pictures and I'm gonna use this as leverage so that he can get his money out. But as I'm in there, I guess, I guess I wasn't being careful enough and people noticed what I was doing. And then my uncle comes from behind me trying to grab the phone out of my hand. And he was rough. Like I had, I had bruises on my arms. I had handprints and blood streaming down my neck. But like he pushes me out, takes the phone and I go back to my friend and I, I didn't feel anything. There was so much adrenaline and my friend points to me and he starts crying, like scream crying. He's like, you're bleeding, you're bleeding. And I, I remember touching my neck and being like, Oh my God, I am bleeding. And we had to call the police. <laughs> But yeah, wow. so that's that was the day I left July 25th of 2013. It was that day. Your friend's not yeah, he's not someone in, to have in a calm situation because he's you've just come out and he's go, he's just like pointing like look at your neck like that would have panicked me. You, I know. You were, I like, yeah. <laughs> but I was glad that he, he he did say let's call the police, right? Cuz yeah. a lot of order yeah. members are like you do not call the police on your own kind. They're like very afraid to to rat out the the order members, but we called the police really fast. <laughs> I guess they have to make it difficult for you to leave. Otherwise, more people would, would want to leave. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you remember, I mean, was it emotional telling your mom, like, hey, I, I don't want to be here anymore? Yeah, and she, I love my mom and I still really have, you know, a bond with her because I've had that bond since childhood. She really was my only, you know, she was the the main parent in my life. Um, so talking with her about all of my concerns, I could tell deep down she believed the same thing, but she couldn't do it herself because I don't think she believed that she could. So I, I did call my mom after getting attacked. I called her and I said, hey, just so you know, there's uh, people are making up a bunch of lies about what really happened. So I want you to hear it from my mouth what exactly happened. And I told her everything and she was on my side. She was like, that's not fair of him to attack you. But I do remember her saying, Amanda, why do you got to go out with a bang? You always got to go out with a bang, everything you do. <laughs> but um, she understood and she believed me. But no one else was. No one else was believing me except for the ones who witnessed it, which is insane. There were witnesses and people were still lying, saying that I just clawed myself in the throat. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? But it was hard to say goodbye bye to my family. And again, I had this delusion that I wasn't going to have to really do that. But then, um, so I was 17, almost 18 years old at this time. And by my birthday, so my birthday rolls around and I was thinking, and I had left, right? I was thinking that my mom was going to bring all my siblings to my birthday party. She made me think that we we're going to have this nice big birthday party and I was going to get to see my siblings again. And I show up and my mom's there and none of my siblings are there. And she grabs me and she whispers in my ear that... I won't see my siblings again unless I come back to the order. If I come back to the order, then I can see my siblings again. And then she gives me my gifts, which was, I could tell she spent time on these. There were photo albums of all of my siblings. 
And I just, when I got home, I, I locked myself in the closet and I just cried for like an hour on my 18th birthday. Cause I was like, so for happy birthday to me, you're never going to see your siblings again, unless you go back to that hell. And that's the hard part. It's so hard to explain this to people because order members turn it around. There's so much gaslighting that happens. Order members will turn it around and say, you left us in the trash, Amanda. You left us behind. You chose this life. So go lay in that bed that, that you made. And, but it's, it's like, I, I had two choices. Stay, marry my cousin and live that life for the rest of my life to make you guys happy or run. And, and I guess have you guys think that I'm throwing you guys in the trash. Like it, there's so much gaslighting and manipulation and it worked. Cause I did feel like I didn't want my siblings to think that I abandoned them, but like I'm there knocking at the door. You guys are the ones saying I can't come in. You know what I mean? Yeah. That must've been horrifying though. At 18 years old. That's the kind of thing that really marks you forever. Yeah, it was, it was pretty traumatizing, but I, I held tight to this hope that eventually my mom would, would start reaching out more and my mom, cause I, I'm like, mom, there's no way you can like, just pretend that I don't exist. And she couldn't. She she did say she would have to talk to my dad and be like, I can't pretend that my daughter's dead. That's my daughter. So she would reach out and she would try to have a relationship with me. But a lot for a lot of years, it was hard because just imagine having a relationship with a family member who believes that you're going to hell for not, you know, living polygamy and living the way that they want. That's pretty hard to have a friendship with someone like that. Yeah, I know absolutely. And and in in what what did you do then immediately after that? Because what, did you have a, a job at that time? Where did you go and live? Um, I so I luckily got in contact with Holding Out Help. It's a charity who they're pretty big in Utah because there's so many ex polygamists that need help like functioning in society. So I got in contact with Holding Out Help, and they actually helped me apply for jobs. And um, they gave me gas cards so that I could get to those jobs. So I, I, it was so nice of them. Um, but I, what I really needed was therapy. And they, they could see that. So they're like, hey, do you, you want to go? They gave me free therapy as well. And that was so nice. Um, but I also had, luckily, remember I talked about how I went to public school for two years. Luckily, I met a girl in public school and we hit it off. We were best friends like the second we met. And I stayed close with her all the way up until 17 and her family knew they found out that I was a part of this group. They found out what was going on and they were like, you're going to come live with us. So they took me in as their own. Wow. They were, yeah, they were really sweet. They were such a good, like part of my story because at that time I was in such a dark place and I was feeling like unlovable. I'm, I am not worthy. Right. And this family goes out of their way saying, Nope, you're going to come live with us. You're going to be our kid now. <laughs> And so I needed that at that time. So I had that support from them. I had the support from holding out help. And to be honest, like if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be today because there are a lot of people who leave these religions who end up with addictions, who end up, you know, making these poor decisions because they don't have a good support system. I truly believe that a lot of the ones that are successful, it's not because they just did it all on their own. They had support. So I'm, I'm really grateful for it. That's huge. And then so going forward, uh, did you were you able to speak to some of your siblings and, and your mum a little bit more? It, it was always like pretty rocky, but there was a point where my mom actually did leave. And if you I don't know if you watch Escaping Polygamy. Have you ever seen that show? Uh, no, I haven't seen that. Okay. I, well, I was on that one for about four seasons. And we, what we did was we helped members leave like like the FLDS, like the Kingston group. Um, oh. And we documented it. And so I was actually pretty heavily involved in that. Like right when I left the group, producers reached out to me and I was able to, you know, help get other people out. My mom being one of them, I helped her leave. We moved her out to Colorado and she seemed to be doing okay. But then um, the same manipulation tactics happened. You know, my dad goes out there, he finds her and he tells her that we've been having dreams that your daughter is going to die if you don't come back. Like all this fear and so my mom eventually did go back. So there is this, we, we know that there's this deep sense of my mom, you know, like not liking the religion, not liking what's going on in there, but maybe she feels trapped by whatever it is, fear. You know, they took all of the money away. <laughs> like she feels very trapped by it. Um, and so you can actually watch it on the show, but this was years ago. Um, and she did go back and she still lives this. I've always felt like, I'm like, mom, you, you seem like you're bipolar because she, she's one way and then she's the other way. And then she's one way and then she's the other way. And I don't think it's that I, sh I don't think it's nice that I would diagnose her like that because I'm not a psychologist, but it is true that 
I think a lot of members have like a split personality, who they truly are and then who they believe that they have to be for the Lord. And so they're always going back and forth. And that's how I feel like my mom is. So to answer your question, she she does reach out to me. I have had a relationship with her. Whether it's been good, it's it's been rocky, but I have had less of a relationship with my siblings due to my dad not wanting me to influence them and be a bad influence on them and bring them to hell with me. I see, I see. And and, and is is there a, a do you mind me asking a partner in your life, some someone? Um, as of right now, so <laughs> I don't I I don't know how much history I should say on this. I did get divorced. So I, when I left, I married, uh, I like ran away with this boy, married him, but I was 18 and I don't know, at 18 coming out of a cult, not really yeah. knowing what I'm doing. You know what I mean? So I did, um, end up filing for divorce seven years later at 25. And that's really like when my brain was fully developed, I was starting to really learn what I wanted in my life. And I didn't think that religion was that big a part of it. Whereas before I was like, I want my kids to go to church, da, 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 da. but now I'm like, I need to have a partner who's okay with, you know, not being so black and white, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that, that's interesting about the 25. That's when your brain fully develops, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when I literally, I remember waking up being like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm not happy. Oh, and I can't live the rest of my wow. life being unhappy, especially if I want to have kids. I don't want to be a miserable mom. Like I'm not going to be the best mom for these kids. So yeah, then I, I honestly, I moved out of Utah to Vegas and I dated a little there. I had some rough, bad relationships. Um, and now I feel like I'm in, I'm in a pretty healthy relationship now. So, but oh, not married, great. would like yeah. to be, but not, not till it feels right. <laughs> yeah. Taking it. You're, slow. you're getting this, married, right? I mean, I yeah, can't talk about right. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next June, next June. And it's, no it's very, very exciting, but we've been together nine years. So it's sort of a, it's like a, a step that we, it's, it's just one of those things we moved around for years and years and years, different countries and cities and jobs and things. And it was the first time where we were like in one place for enough time and it felt like the right time to do it. And yeah. it, it's, a, it's a funny thing because after that long together, you think it, it shouldn't really matter that much. But then when you propose, it's, it's such a beautiful moment you get to share together that lasts mm-hmm. for some months or, or years. And it, ch- it does change things with you because then... I suppose uh, any little arguments or little things like that, there's no longer that fear of like, oh, but what if we break up now? It's like, no, okay, we're in this and you just feel, mm-hmm. so, so it's it's nice. Yeah, there's a sense of stability in that for sure. You guys talk about kids. Sorry, I'm curious because like you, you weren't raised in polygamy. So I wonder how much kids and that type of a life is in, in your brain. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, not a, not at all, really. Uh, well, no, actually, that's not true. We do talk. We talk about <laughs> the possibilities. I'm very wary of my editor now being my my fiance's cousin who's listening in, but uh, <laughs> Go- Gonzalo. But um, yeah, you know, uh, we're at, you know, you get to that age, don't you? And you sort of have to. And that's exactly what I was talking about with the interview I did about population collapse. Apparently, I mean, look, the issue isn't like if people don't want to have kids, they shouldn't have kids. But what this guy was saying, Stephen J. Shaw, and he made a, he made a documentary about it called Birth Gap, and his point was a lot of men and women who do want to have kids are not doing it because they delay and delay and delay. And then there are fertility problems, work gets in the way, this happens, that happens, and then it doesn't happen. So it's it's always on my mind, uh, but we don't talk about it very much. My, we've still just gotten to like where we are in the UK, mm-hmm. which I, I don't reveal just in case of like Scientologists yeah. coming to get me. But uh, where, but where we, we've just like sort of got our feet down, we've got the, the house and everything, and it's like, okay, let's... You know, I'm 34. My my dad, it's a funny thing with age, isn't it? And I'm sure a lot of people listening or watching must be at that stage themselves or have kids who are at that stage. Uh, and like, I got some pressure from my dad a bit, you know. Um, oh, come on, you know, some of my friends have got grandkids and it's, it's a bit late and you're getting older and that kind of thing. And I was like 33 when he was saying this stuff. Mm-hmm. And for a while I was like, oh, stop it. And then I remember my dad didn't have me till he was 36 as well. So he'd given me all this guilt. And I was like, dad, you realize you were 36. He didn't even realize in his head, he was like 20 when he had me, you know, but it was 36. You're so like, mm. yeah, if you're, I think, I don't know, everyone's different. It depends on your, like, on your, on your, aspirations in life as well mm-hmm. some people are like i want to do my career i want to get everything sorted first and then some people are like in their 20s and just just doing that but yeah for me it's an it's probably another two three years um yeah until 
until then. Yeah. I think that yeah. that's what's important is to know where you're at with it because there's a lot of people who do jump into it and they weren't ready to be parents and then they are not parents. Like I've seen it a lot. And cuz like where I come from there's so much pressure to have a baby as soon as you get married and these kids are still kids raising kids and yeah. you see the trauma that they're putting onto their kids because they themselves haven't worked through their own trauma. So mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people from the order are like, "Oh, look at Amanda, she doesn't have any kids. She's not successful." Cuz they 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 put having children as success, kind of like how your dad's like, hey, have kids. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a status um, thing. Yeah, for, for some reason. But to me, and like, I do not find myself unsuccessful for not having kids. I would find myself to be, you know, like, I, obviously, if I had a kid before now, I would do the best that I could have. But I feel like where I am now, I'm the best version of myself. And I feel way more confident having kids now than if I were to have had them a long time ago. God forbid with my ex-husband too. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> not oh, to like yeah. shade him or anything, but like that there was a reason why we didn't have kids, you know, because it yeah, didn't yeah. feel right. It didn't feel like the right parenting was going to be happening for those kids. And I did not... I did not leave the order, you know, having this idea of raising these kids that are going to have a good life just to give them a, a traumatic life. You know what I mean? Yeah. You play you play a different status game, I guess. I think Americans say status, don't you? Status, different status game, uh, or, yeah. status game <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, you've got different things that are that you want to achieve in your life and also to p have children. Like it's part of the whole thing, whereas to them mm -hmm. it seems like that's the only thing. And what you said like really hits home about these, these kids having kids. I mean, you were 18 when you got married, right? That's mm -hmm. a child. Like now yeah. that I'm 34, I'm, that is a literal child. I cannot yeah. believe that, that, like how young that seems now. And for a child to have a child just seems completely insane. By the way, anyone, anyone listening who was 18 and had kids and are very happy with it, that's absolutely... I don't mean to... I'm not throwing shade at those people. <laughs> that happens a lot as well. And they're really happy and have great lives. Yeah. You shouldn't and be I, forced to. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Don't be forced to. Don't get married out of guilt, shame, because God's going to be mad. Or like, because you're pregnant. You know what I mean? But... um what I like to say on that is because I say this all the time, like, I, sh I, I shouldn't have gotten married at 18, da, da, da. The reality is, though, I was an 18, not just an 18-year-old from a loving family with no, like, serious trauma. I was an 18-year-old coming out of a cult. And, and the state that I was in at that point, if I were to have kids, I would have definitely traumatized those kids because I was very traumatized. I was not healed. But, like, I've never seen it, but I'm sure there's 18-year-olds out there that are very mature, very got a good head on their shoulders stuff like that but i was not yeah. one of those <laughs> maybe maybe they've got a home where like the grandparents help and it's like a nice mm -hmm. family i think that can work if there's stability but it's, exactly. it's apparently instability is the worst thing kids can have instability so it's just that kind of thing um amanda where should we send people we like i'll put a link to your channel would that be good yeah if you want to uh Go to my channel, Amanda Ray. I do, I do live streams every week where we talk about the numbered men and the numbered man system in my, in my cults. And then, um, I don't know if you want to put this charity holding out help that helped me in the description box as well. I always have that on my channel too. It's just a place where, um, people trying to leave cults can call them. They have an emergency hotline. And also if you're someone who's wanting to donate or, or, you know, help out in any way, volunteer, you can call them and reach out. It's just, they're there. I really vouch for them because they helped me so much. Oh, Gonzalo, the editor, you've heard her put it, put the link in the, in the thing to that. <laughs> Holding out help, put that there as well. Thank you, Amanda Ray, for coming on the podcast. People, do go check out her podcast, Amanda Ray. There's a couple of Amanda Rays, so make sure it's, it's the right one. It's R-A-E, but both the Amanda Rays are that one. But find the one who talks about cults and polygamy and things like that. You should be able to find her. Hope you guys found that of interest. It's certainly something very different. And I should have some more quite different stuff because I think I've got a rapper who is a Hasidic Jew with many children and things coming up next. Because we've got to keep things interesting, don't we? Hope you guys have an interesting week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.